Hey everybody, welcome to the next episode of the Strand Tennis Center podcast, filled with tips, advice, tennis, not tennis, just life advice too, whatever you need. Uh, like it on YouTube, share it on uh, the podcast as well. Thank you. I want to talk about it. Your hair looks cute with it up, Santi. Uh, no, we recording, no, Thank Santi? you. Yes, we are. Great. Welcome to the Strand Tennis Center podcast. Santi just looks very, very cute with his ponytail. Your hair's long now. How long? Uh, how long have you ever grown it? This grown is probably it, yeah. the longest I've grown it. It is. Yeah, because when I first started working here, and then a couple months later, I cut it for a wedding. And I kind of. Oh, got, I remember that. I got sad when I cut it. I was like, Oh, why? you did. I was like, Why did I cut it? But I was in the wedding, and I felt like yeah, uh, you got to be responsible. I right? felt like it looked like a bum or something, but um, yeah. It was like Santi's finding himself. Yeah, and then right. I, then I was like, nope, I'm gonna grow it out. So I haven't. How long you gonna? How long do you want it to grow for? I don't know. I'm think, <laughs> I think about cutting it sometimes, but then. What happens if you're invited to another function? Oh well, if I'm, I don't care. If I'm in it, it looks fine now. But like when it's like super straight, because I got a perm, so it's like more wavy. You like the perm? Yeah, right? I like the perm bigger. better. But I mean, I have to get another perm eventually because it only lasts like six months. But it's better than like super straight. We had discussed yeah. this before. Your perm yeah, looked did. really good. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it was a nice. But I've been wearing a hat like every day. So <clears> yeah, so I don't notice it. your perm. Yeah, it kills it. Well, why wouldn't you flaunt the perm if and you, you had? You can't white, see when but you're but teaching. The, no, but like what do your mean hair you can't flies in your face and stuff. Oh well, no! I thought you were gonna just do it for effect that people oh. like the way it looks. Oh yeah. No. Who cares if you can't teach? <laughs> I can't see what I'm doing. Can't see anything. Well, you. uh I did like the perm. I thought it looked... <laughs> we got into hairstyling on this podcast. Uh, we'll work on... You perm... It's one... It lasts for six months. That's, that's a pretty that's good... That's what the lady said, but it's been pretty good right now. I think I'll wait till after winter's over to get another one. Okay. Yeah. Huh. We'll and may I ask how much a perm costs? It was... Well, I got a cut and a perm. It was like 150 150 So I don't know how much just a perm is. It's more for women, though. I, mean, I believe so. Maria, yeah. But I guess, you know, you'll... You'll get your roots done or something like that. The mm-hmm. foil or something like a treatment is more as well. Yeah. The perm is, is cheaper so. than getting a, your hair dyed or whatever. I believe so. I would sure. assume. Yeah. <laughs> about fun. This. Um, <clears throat> I've got to talk about two things. One is a, a micro-tactical thing. We're going to discuss, uh, and I don't think we went over in detail enough. We did it pretty close, but I want to go over a little bit more in detail of the MEDs of practice of what you should be practicing. The MED would be the minimum effective dose of what you should be practicing. So if you're going to play tennis, play this game, there's always, like with anything, it's like learning a language or, or anything like that, you can have pretty much an 80% aptitude if you practice a certain amount of key phrases or terms in any language. You may not learn it fluently, but 80% of 80% aptitude is great in anything, really, if you're not going to be professional, like we said. So the minimum effective dose for practicing for tennis, the way I see it is, like we said, you boil it down to the most commonly hit balls, just like the most common phrases in a language. So the most commonly hit balls or a serve, return, and the next ball, which, again, like we said, is usually a forehand. So those are the three top things that you would practice, and people always dry, get you know a little crazy. I said just disregard all the rest of them. 
And it's amazing how you'll probably win most of your matches if you just work on serving, returning, and hitting a forehand. Because a lot of us practice, and we actually don't practice those things. How many times have you gone through a session and you don't work on your serve? Happens a lot with training. Happens a lot. We don't work on a return. To me, those are the two biggest things to work on. Of course, if you go through an hour session, if you're doing a lesson, you need proper warm-up. Warm-up properly, whether it's just some arm swings, get some blood flow, some ballistic stretching. Because you don't want to start with the serve. Something over your shoulder, over your head is going to be difficult if you're not warmed up and loose. But in a perfect world, the dose of serve and return is going to be a lot higher than anything else. Backhand, slice, volley, all of those things. We'll go over the technique on the forehand because that is going to be a major, major stroke you're going to use a lot. and You're going to try to really emphasize using that stroke on more parts of the court than not. Now, I know, uh, there'll be an exception to every rule. Somebody's backhand may be better than their forehand. We're just trying to go with some commonalities, some generalities here, because you you watch people on TV, they want to hit their forehand, you know, 90% of the time. I think Monica Sellers was the only one that wanted to hit her backhand. You know, it's hard to find someone that... uh, you know, on the on the men's side, I guess it's very hard to find someone that likes a, a backhand better than a forehand. Women's side, maybe because again, it's just it's just a, a DNA thing. Men are just bigger and stronger, and they can hit with one arm a little a, a little bit freer. I mean, women hit huge forehands too. I mean, Serena's forehand is incredible. Usually, even on the women's side, relative to their strength, not even men to women. You get just so much more reach and generate so much more power on the forehand because you can really extend. The backhand's got two hands on it most of the time. It's really hard to generate more force. You can be much more consistent. But I have a feeling you just got, you just have, not a feeling, you just have more range of motion on the forehand. You can just take a bigger swing, which, again, results generally in more power with that bigger range of motion. So a couple of keys to the forehand. And if they can see the racket, which is great. The key to a, a forehand, really, and you can see it on any videotape, is where the racket starts. So if I'm in ready position, the racket has got to start up with that unit turn, and my hand has got to be on that racket, if you can see this here. So when I'm in ready position, I need to turn with that racket up. Now, it could be anywhere specifically on your throat. It doesn't have to be here. It could be here. People hold it here. People hold it there. But you need that racket. In general, even with your head, it's called a head-to-head take-back because you're using physics. You're using the force of the racket. So you're doing two things when you do that unit turn. You're creating space, and you're creating judgment. You're creating space between you and your body, and then you're creating judgment between you and the ball because you don't want to commit to the ball too soon. No matter how fast the ball is going, a player will always start with that racket up if they're hitting a ground stroke. Racket starts up, so the physics of the racket can take over. You keep moving the racket, builds force in the racket. You never stop the racket. Some people, the misconception was to get the racket back quickly. You get it back quickly, and the racket sits there, and then that's a problem with the racket stops because then you have to build up speed in a bit again, and it gets very difficult. So you need that racket moving 
constantly. So you would do your unit turn, which means your unit turn is meaning you're connecting your torso to the stroke. Most racket takebacks are with the torso, if you notice. It's not with your hands. People separate their hands way too many times, and they don't engage the larger muscles of the torso. You need that kinetic change from your foot, your leg, glute, torso. And if you open this up, you lose that connection up top. So you connect, keep this hand on the racket until you move. As you begin to move, you start to open up. But that shoulder is turned. The racket stays up until that ball bounces, then you commit to the racket. So think of the beginning of the stroke. If you can just hone in on a unit turn, rack it up, keep the racket up, drop the racket head only when the ball bounces and it keeps the racket head moving. I drop the racket head either here to here to here based on the level of the ball. That's why I wait to drop it because I don't know the level of the ball. So those are very important things. Your grip could be anything you, I mean, you could be a semi-Western grip. Again, we can, go, we can go through this. There's eight bevels on this racket. So if you count left or right, if you're a lefty, you count to the left. You're righty, you count to the right. Usually, the base of your pointer finger knuckle is the judge. You will put that on panel four if you're a righty. So one, two, one, two, three, four. That's called a semi-Western grip. Most players hold a semi-Western grip. That keeps the face closed. It, and it's not too extreme to get to the backhand side. Some people hold a very extreme Western grip, then it gets very difficult to switch grips when you need to. Semi-Western grip is probably the standard. It keeps the face closed through the zone. So, again, the last kind of tip, I won't harp on the forehand so much. It's very important, but we want to go through a couple other things. When I strike the ball, there's a lag to my racket. My racket is below the ball. My wrist is dropped. When I strike it, my racket head, if you can see, my wrist is still kind of relaxed or dangled down. But I don't engage my wrist at all during the zone of the stroke. A lot of people seem to think they need to use their wrist when they hit. You actually just drop your wrist and you come forward and your racket head is pushing through the ball. You can imagine a zone of four balls. You hit through four. Maybe you can put that on a picture or something. You hit through four balls through that zone, and then at the end, if you notice, players are going to wave up the back of the ball. They do this. If you notice a ball, Santi, if you can throw me a ball, I think there's one right there in that can. You can throw me a ball. Ah, oh, right over there. You can grab it. You can grab it. We can't even find a tennis ball at the tennis club. That's the best. There's all these tennis balls. Just, just open a can, Santi. It's fine. Open a new can, Santi. That's okay. We, we, we I love the sound of opening a new can of balls. Look at that. Fresh. So, a ball is three-dimensional. If I don't stay behind the ball when I make contact with it, I'm not going to get the proper force. If I come over the ball too soon, gravity is going to take over the ball and it's going to go right down into the ground. If I get under the ball too soon, obviously that force is going to take it too high. I need to stay behind the ball with the face closed as I'm going through it, and imagine, again, a line of four balls. That zone is very important. You'll see pictures of Federer going through the ball like this, the full extension of the arm, because in that zone, their wrist is very firm. Their wrist is not releasing or breaking. They don't even break at the end. They push through four balls. The wrist is very firm, and then they wave up the back of it. And you'll see all this wave from the players. Nadal may finish this way, a reverse forehand. Federer may finish a little bit more inverted. Djokovic may finish a little bit more vertical. 
but they're all waving up the back of the ball. That's a very, very big fundamental that you don't want to lose. You don't want to lose the wrist, and you want to wave up the back of the ball. You're not coming over. You're not coming under the ball. So those are the key fundamentals to the forehand. I'll go over the key fundamentals to the serve and to the return on another episode, but I want to go over the forehand. Then I also want to discuss kind of the doses you want to do in regards to strokes. If I were warming up and play, I'd warm up my shoulder, I'd get it loose. I would have my pro first just start hitting me some forehands. Only, you know, mini tennis forehands are great, but I would do mini tennis forehands over the whole range of the court. So I would have him feeding me balls over 75, 80% of the mini tennis court, and I'd have to hit all forehands. That means I have to run around every backhand. I have to hit every forehand. I'm not going to hit a backhand today. I'm just going to work on the theory of having 80 percentile aptitude to be able to play. And if you can beat 80% of the people, I think you'll be happy. All forehands for about, I'd say, five to seven minutes. You would go back. You would hit all forehands for another five to seven minutes whether they're fed by the pro, whether they're fed, uh, or whether they're struck back and forth. After I do that for about 15, 20 minutes, I'm going to then hit inside-out balls from the backhand side. That person will stand on the cross-court side, which would be the ad side. You'll stand on, uh, the, the, yeah, both on the ad side, because you're standing a little, if you're a righty, you're standing about, uh, about three feet to the right of the center line, and you're going to hit inside-out forehands, you're going to work on that. You're going to constantly hit inside-out forehands, and you're going to learn how to change direction, which is important in tennis, which you can learn from only hitting the forehands. So you'll hit three to four inside-out forehands. The fifth one will go inside-in. Inside-in means that you're hitting a ball down the line from the backhand side, but hitting a forehand on that backhand side. So inside-out forehands, down-the-line forehands. You're going to do that for another 15, 20 minutes. And then you get a drink. And that is going to be the structure of your forehand practice. Don't even worry. Maybe you can do, again, five minutes of just moving forward on the forehand. You can do that, too. But getting around it, hitting it inside out, inside in are very important things. Uh, I'd say if you want to add an extra five minutes of Hitting an inside-out forehand, getting a short forehand, hitting that inside-in, that's fine. You can variate that. One deep, one short. So three inside-out forehands, one inside-in, and then a fifth one that's short. After that, I'm going to go right to the return. I'm going to have my coach give me 15 to 20 minutes of return game. Forehand side, backhand side. The coach will give you a first serve return, and he'll give you a second serve as well. And you will practice hitting that return for singles deep down the middle, deep down the middle. We'll go over the techniques on the return and the serve in another episode, but you'll do that for 15 or 20 minutes on each side. Then you're going to proceed to serve. I just want you to start on the service line, proper form, not even doing the whole motion, starting on the service line, warming up the shoulder that way. Then you're going to go back, and again, we'll go over technique on the serve later. I just want to go over technique on the forehand. Then you're going to go back, hit 15 minutes of serves. I know it's going to seem like a lot, 15 to 20 minutes, because it's going to be hard on your shoulder. You don't want to be careful, but we still need to practice that serve. And you may not feel like you can practice it every day, but what you need to do 
for your shoulder, if it's good, is even practice mini tennis serves. Control. So what you would do is you would put a cone. If there's a service box, right, there's the T, there's the center of the box, and out wide. Put three cones out there, and you're going to work on control. I'd rather have you have the best serve than the hardest serve, like we said. So you don't have to worry about cranking the serve. You're going to worry about where you're hitting it. So for that 15 minutes or 20 minutes, 10 minutes on each side, you're going to work on an out wide serve, 10 to 15 of them. Down the center, 10 to 15 of them, and down the T, 10 to 15 of them. Don't worry about hitting it hard right away. I want you to worry about the racket control first. We'll work on, I'll show you the spins on the second serve and the first serve later. But the key is this format is your minimum effective dose to be able to be at 80 percentile. You're not going to work on a backhand. You're not even going to work on a volley. You're not going to work on a slice. You're not even going to work on an overhead because you're doing a serve. That'll take care of that. So those are the biggest things to be able to have the proper aptitude to play. And I would say you would even only have to do this three to four times a week. If you're practicing four times a week, you may even not even have to do the serve at full bore. Like I said, do mini tennis for the fourth day. If you're doing it five times a week, you'll want to variate how many times you're served. Just be, be, again, check in with your shoulder. See how it's feeling. Just don't hit a serve hard for 20 minutes if the shoulder's hurting or if the shoulder's just a little tender. We don't want any pain there. So be careful with the load on the serve. That's all. But you're going to touch this if you could. If you did it four times a week for an hour, I think you'd have pretty good aptitude. You could even do it, even if you do it a fifth time for an hour, it's fine. Uh, but again, just check the shoulder, check feeling how that load feels on that shoulder. So that's kind of the start of our, minimum, I'd say, minimum effective dose series on how to get some aptitude because most people don't have the time to play. Most people don't have the time to be able to practice, do their off-court training, do all these things. This is to help more of the, you know, it, recreational prayer is a hard word to say because that's a lot of practice too, four or five hours. This is to probably help the kid that wants to play, you know, high school, even an adult that wants to move up a level, three, uh, three five to four zero, oh, and they play, and they play a decent amount. Um, the, pro the problem is as we get older, Santi, people just want to play matches, and they don't want to get better. <laughs> but I'm trying to tell you this is the best way for you to improve your game without having to work on everything and just be a better, and just be a better winning tennis player. You'll start to focus on three things. And in the rest of the series, after we do the return analysis and the serve analysis, we're going to do some strategy analysis. We can put 15 minutes in there. But it doesn't have to be a ton if you are mastering these three strokes. I'm telling you, the game starts to solve itself. You know what you want to do. And if someone beats you at your own game, that's okay. You don't get confused because you know you don't have all the other tools to even work with. Because you're not here to beat 100% of the people. You're not here to beat that person that's got every shot in the book and has got, uh, you know, a huge serve, but they can slice, they can volley, they come in, they, but all of these things, you're not worried about beating them. So if that person is just better than you, that's okay. So hopefully this is the start of a good little series of minimum effective doses. Um, I think the only thing else I have to say is in regards to this is in a macro level, asking or earning. 
And always, you always want to ask yourself that. Am I asking or am I earning? A lot of people want things and they try to ask for them instead of earning them. So if you want to be a better tennis player, you have to earn it. You can't ask. You can't go, oh, I'd like to be on the top court. I'd like to be playing this person. You don't ask. You earn it. And if you show that you have the results, you get to play those better people. And you get to move up. And you get, and you get to challenge those people you want to challenge. But try never to ask your coach. Try to earn it. And that's the biggest thing you can learn today. Santi, anything to add? Feeling good? <laughs> Everybody, thank you. Again, the answers and the actions. Have a good day. Thanks. Hey, everybody. Hope you like the podcast. Please share it with your friends, anybody that you know, anybody that's into tennis, anybody that's into bettering themselves. Share it.